This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another great show, Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure. I want to give you guys all a big shout out for tuning in to the program today. We appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to the program. I know that there's, you know, 1.75 million podcasts and radio shows out there. So happy that you chose us to listen to. And of course, make sure you share this with your friends. And you can always catch us offline at Stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. We do some uh, fun after party events over there answer your questions and then of course uh connect with uh, many of the other users over there and have uh fun shows on all kinds of cool topics so you can definitely check us out over there uh, and then of course you can follow me all over social media at radio ryan number one the number one not o-n-e the number one one because there's only one radio ryan actually it's funny sorry when i tried to get regular just radio ryan it was already taken and so I just got Radio Ryan. And I don't understand why the person who got Radio Ryan on all the social media sites, he's not even like a radio person. So it's not fair, but that's okay. You know what? I got Radio Ryan one, so that makes me original one, I guess. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We have a great show for you guys today. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times, uh, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship and you know, people being entrepreneurs, but a lot of times I don't think we talk about the support systems that are necessary for entrepreneurs. Um, and you know, in, in some of our previous episodes, we've talked about coaches and mentors uh, and, and helping uh, entrepreneurs kind of navigate some waters that they may not quite have, have navigated before. Uh, because as you guys know, as you start off being an entrepreneur, you're the COO, CFO, CEO, all the chief level uh, areas. You're the, you're the, you're all all the vice presidents, all the directors, <laughs> all of the uh, customer service representatives all in the beginning as you kind of lay your groundwork for, you know, people, processes, and procedures for you to be able to scale. Uh, but then, of course, uh, you always get into scenarios where you might not know exactly what to do. You know, well, I got some weird tax stuff going on, you know, uh, 2020. How do I pay taxes or what do I do with my my PPP money that I got or my SBA loan or whatever the case may be? Sometimes you need someone to come in and 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 help you out uh, in multiple areas. I was just using tax advisory as, as one area, uh, but there's always uh, executive coaches that are necessary to help, you know, transform some culture, um, helping to create maybe training programs or to help create the people, uh, excuse me, not the people, but the processes and the procedures for the people so you can scale. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. And of course, we have a fantastic guest who knows all about all of those wonderful things. She comes from a great group. We've done some interviews with them before for uh, the folks over at Handle Group. And today we're going to talk to Krissa Boyce. She's the Chief Strategy Officer and Senior Executive Coach at Handle Group. And she has a decade of management and executive level leadership she brings to the table. And throughout her career, she's worked on building brands and creating businesses, driving initiatives that have positively impacted sales, profit, employee retention for large and small companies. Krissa, welcome to the show. 
I love the applause. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, I have to feed those guys uh, lots of tacos on Taco Tuesday uh, in order to get them packed into the studio because of my studio's huge. It's so huge. It takes lots of tacos to get everybody packed in here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's I want to awesome. say that because we're, we're, we're recording today on Tuesday, so it's Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Is there tequila with the tacos? Um, Not yet. But later, yes, absolutely, gotcha. yes, um, and probably some type of uh, uh, Mexican beer, like uh, you know, you know, something good, a Modelo Especial. Probably, I could see probably going well with some good eighteen hundred. Uh, so I think I think we're on the same wavelength on that one. Same wavelength, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, tequila, I had some Casadores the other day. It was the first time that I had it, and I, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty good." And because is, isn't that uh, isn't that uh, Clooney's vodka, uh, Clooney's tequila, the Casadores? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think Casadores? it is. Yeah, so I tried I, I tried George Clooney's uh, tequila, and it was pretty good. That's awesome. I'm a Casamigos fan, so uh, I would have to try this one out. Yes, it's pretty good. It's not as good as 1800, uh, don't get me wrong. And nothing is as good as Don Julio Blanco, uh, which is my yeah. favorite, absolutely. Uh, of course, I live in Phoenix, so we, any opportunity I get to go to Puerto Penasco or Rocky Point to go take a little trip uh, and enjoy seafood and tequila for as many days as possible, then, uh, you know, I'm all about that. <laughs> a good way to spend some time <laughs> i agree you know i had always uh told a lot of our entrepreneur guests that are on uh you know i work here at voice america my capacity as the vice president of broadcast operations right and so i work very heavily with uh with the station ownership and have been here for 17 years and um you know, I'm definitely living my purpose and my career path and I'm having a great time doing it. Um, but I always told those guys, I said, you know what, if we could get that company and, you know, everything just to a position where, you know, like I could just move to Puerto Penascal and, you know, I could take Zoom calls like once a week, maybe, you know, once a, once every two weeks. My 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 favorite would be once a month. Uh, right. And then be able to manage business from that perspective and just, you know, drink Corona on the beach and hang out. Um, and that's one of the things that we talk about with entrepreneurs and what I think coaches can always help with, too, is, you know, as you as you start being an entrepreneur, you have to have that mindset of knowing what am I going to do in the future and how do I want to scale my business and where do I see it in five years? Where do I see it in 10 years? Because, you know, some CEOs and some entrepreneurs, people who are running businesses all have kind of like different goals and different ways that they want to approach their business or whether they want to be an absentee owner or, uh, you know, they want to be in the nitty gritty and the operations on a daily basis or whatever the case may be. And all of those things I think are fine. Um, but I think this is where an executive coach comes in handy because, um, you know, the, the, the CEO or the the entrepreneur who's starting out can bounce ideas off of somebody who, you know, has helped to build brands and businesses in different spaces before um, where they can provide some guidance in some of those spaces. And so um, I see quite great value for executive coaches and, um, you know, people like you, especially um, I think in, in the way that businesses uh, in 2021 versus the way it was in 2019, right? We had our pandemic, all this craziness that went down. And then you like, you also started to see a shift um, in, in leadership roles and uh, inclusion um, and different kind of culture transformations too, right? As you had different people working from disparate locations all over the city or in some places all over the country. Um, and so I think people like you can kind of help hone in and, 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 
and and bring that into a, a place where an executive can understand exactly what's kind of going on with their workforce, with their employees, uh, with uh, their customers, even in some respects, as people have been, you know, doing the 360 degree pivot for the last 365 days. So true. So true. Yeah. So um, with your role as an executive coach, um, you know, what's what's kind of one of the one of your favorite things to do when you're working with uh, businesses on coaching them in any manner of, uh, of things that you're that you're uh, you're proficient at? Favorite things to do. So yeah. I'm, it's always funny because it's not always the thing that I'm doing. <laughs> Usually, uh, people come to coaching because they're in some sort of crisis and they need help. Yeah. Right? Most of us don't ask for help until we absolutely need it. We try to figure it out on our own. So usually I get a client where something is pretty in bad shape and now it's time to deal. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not necessarily my favorite stuff to do, um, the crisis stuff, because it <laughs> someone's in turmoil, they're really upset, there's a lot riding on the decision making, so it's a high pressure. You probably got a lot of that in 2020. Yeah, we did actually. Uh, a we ton, did. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much the whole year. Yeah. I, and interestingly, people in 2020 really also wanted to know like how to make the best out of the situation. So a lot of people were also like, look, we know this is not great. We know that there's going to be a lot of challenges, but how do we make the best of it? So many people were willing to be proactive and not wait around for like, you know, when this all happened last year in March, the people were willing to not wait around until the summer to deal. They were really willing to start dealing with how do we set our employees up with success? How do we make sure we maintain connection and community within our company? And they were doing it very quickly, right? Yep. Like oh, yeah. really in March. So I did, that it, was last I, did year. I did it in seven days here. At our, you did it in at, seven days? I did it in seven days at our company. Yeah, it was the it was the craziest. I worked for seven straight days. You know, our CEO and CFO and myself were like, all right, um, we're going to send everybody home. Except for our um, our employees here that have to be here, like myself, um, and then of course our audio engineers. I, we can't pack up five radio stations. And be like, all right, uh, Aaron, you're going to take the Variety Channel home, and you're going to run that in your garage. <laughs> you know, so there were some things that we had to leave on on premise on site. But yeah, seven days, um, and we, you know, I, I created training courses for the uh, for our people to know how to use Microsoft Teams, um, right? And then we made some policy changes around teams making making that the uh you know like the go-to communication mechanism for our company um right because to buy zoom licenses for the entire company was not cost effective right and in in, in in especially in an area where you're like well let's see here um like 80 percent of my customers are small business owners and small business just got gut punch like you wouldn't believe uh, and so that was like our big thing is like let's not spend money you know we started going through our books and saying okay what's necessary what's unnecessary let's trim some fat right so I think a lot of companies kind of went through something similar to that uh, in the very beginning of the pandemic I'd say uh, I don't know we made this decision the last week of February of 2020 yeah and you're right a lot of people did have to go through that exact process like where can we trim? Where should we invest? What's the right strategic move for who works here in the office? Who goes home? How do we keep people engaged? Mm -hmm. How do we update policies to make sure that this is going to sustain us through this time? So, yeah, all great. And you did it in seven days. That's pretty fascinating. You should know. 
That's really awesome. Hey, I just, I was like, I'm one of those people where it's like, all right, if I set my goal, you know, or, or someone challenges me and that's actually what happened. Our CEO was like, uh, so we, what you think you can figure this all out in like a week? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> as I'm shaking my head. No, but it was, I took that as a challenge. And so, you know, uh, I, I, I spent a lot of extra hours but it was very advantageous because when we had our first Monday morning meeting with everybody at home um, and we were all on teams um, and then, you know, what's funny is in teams, when you have like 20 people in a teams meeting, you can put everybody like at a little boardroom seat or something like that, like in the video screen, it was kind of funny. And so I was running the meeting and so I, I clicked and put everybody in this like stadium seating area, which everybody thought was funny. And I was playing music in the background and some other stuff, like as people were joining the, uh, the first meeting. And I think that, I think that that kind of experience for everybody helped to kind of ease them into, you know, this new way of the way that we were going to be doing stuff but instead of sitting all together around a conference room table you know rubbing elbows and all that fun stuff which I miss immensely we still haven't rubbed elbows and like you know I, I, I was counting last year I stopped counting uh, uh, because we're still you know uh, everybody's still working from home and I don't I don't think I don't think companies are going to go back to doing the same thing that they were doing before um, I don't know if you see this as a trend but I'm seeing this when I'm speaking to individuals um, that a lot of companies are saying hey, uh, as soon as my lease is up, we're going to move to a smaller facility, um, which gives us the opportunity to actually hire more employees because they're not working from our location. We don't have to pay for additional square footage per employee when we want to grow, right? Everybody can work from home. Um, and then we have these co-working offices and co-working conference rooms where if you do have to come to the, to the, to the, uh, to the office to meet a customer, a client or whatever, right? Then um, you can just schedule some time for that office for that day or whatever it, it is and come down and do your job and then the rest of the time you work from home i see a whole bunch of companies taking on that kind of co-working space office kind of mentality um as they as they kind of navigate how things are going to be and our employees coming back are they staying home are we having a hybrid approach um so that's kind of what i'm saying what what trends are you seeing in that space a similar trend so earlier you'd asked me what's some of my favorite things to do with clients and it connects to this question so uh and you said it also yourself when your CEO had said, okay, like, can you figure it out in a week? And you're like smiling, yes, <laughs> and saying yes, but shaking your head no. And for most of us, we've really been confronted with being able or having to figure out how to do something that we've never had to do before, right? Like the script is not even accessible. There is no model. We have to figure <laughs> it all out and good luck. And the truth is we actually confront this quite often in our day-to-day -day and in, in our business lives. Mm -hmm. We're confronted with a new promotion, with leading a team, with leading a different kind of project that we've never done before. And then we have to figure out a way to actually be able to go do that. So that's one of my very favorite things to do with clients is how do we invent? How do we go do something we've never done before? And there's a process by which coaches help clients do that, mm -hmm. including being clear on the outcome, believing in it like crazy, and believing that you can do it, and then having process and protocols in place to go get that done, right? So I just wanted to circle back to that because you talked about it in your in your experience with COVID. Yeah. Um, so to, to the, the point you just made, I agree. Uh, companies, you know, we, we very much have created a world in which butts and seats are really important 
and if the butt is not in the seat, mm-hmm. we're not productive. Why? Yeah. And, and 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 I love that you're going here because I want I. I love talking to you. Um, <laughs> CEOs and, and high-ranking people who make these decisions, and, I, and, I, and I'm hearing this from you know friends of mine and colleagues of mine that work at other companies, that some of these other CEOs and, and COOs, they're not it's, not, it's not registering in their, in their brain, right? And that's what I don't understand is why is there a correlation between um, your commute to this facility and your butt being in this seat versus your butt being in a seat at your home make one person more or less productive. I mean, I think that's part of the challenge. I mean, we've had an entire year, right, already to gauge productivity of people working at home. So if you haven't been, you know, looking at metrics in those space as a leader in your business and you know, like that's where I, I, I feel like everybody gets so stuck and I'm like, where's the metrics that say that? Have you been tracking that? Have you been paying attention to, you know, some of your stuff? Cause I can tell you right now, two of our top earners tripled their business by sitting at home and not having to commute. Right. Some of our other earners dropped off completely. Right. So we've had kind of like a, you know, a, a difference of opinion in multiple areas. Um, but it's like, how are you measuring that, right? And I, I, cha- I challenge CEOs to think about that stuff. I challenge you. Where, where's your measurable on who's performing how, whether they're, they're on premise or off? So let me add to that. I think the whole button seat mentality really is a traditional way of understanding what a business should look like, how it should operate and what we should measure to. So there's a lot of what we've been contending with in all of our lives and not just at work, that we have to start thinking about the cultural shift we all have to make or the mindset shift we all have to make to start to really understand what does productivity really mean? What does it look like? And what should the office or organization of the future really be like to be conducive to how we do work today? So that's something we don't really have a model for. And you know, the truth is, human beings don't really care about data. Like when you believe something, it doesn't matter if you have all the information that says the contrary. We really do just believe what we wanna believe. And so part of what helps people get to changing what they believe is actually coming up with an experience that teaches you something different. Like when you can experience something, and the simple example I give my clients is, you know, you might say, I hate this cuisine, I don't love it. And then you travel to that country or you have a friend from that country and they make you the food and you're like, wow, like this is actually kind of good. I don't hate it. You gave yourself an experience. Like you tried something different. There's no amount of me telling you it's good. Me recommending a great restaurant. It's going to shift your perspective. <laughs> That's the difference until between you actually- a, a American mozzarella cheese and Italian mozzarella cheese. Let me tell yeah. you that the, the, yeah. the two contrasting differences. <laughs> Very different, exactly. So so I think for, for CEOs and people in high-level positions, part of what they have had to deal with this year is the experience of how does my team feel now? How does my company feel? How, does, how is it operating? And does that match how I want it to feel? And for some people, they really do love seeing people. They do like the high-touch, the interaction, the face-to-face. And there's actually a lot of data that shows when you're working in close proximity with people, especially on, on a project basis, the project is more productive, you're more effective and more innovative mm-hmm. in working on that project. So there are merits, but I think ultimately to what you said earlier, 
we're going to shift to this model where mostly we all work from home and then we have these like spaces that we can plug into during project time, during really busy times, during whatever times that in your industry makes sense to be plugged in and be a part of like the broader ecosystem and in person. Um, but for most people, especially for companies, what they've experienced is that I can actually take my overhead down. I can hire people in different places and actually open up my pool of talent in a way that I wasn't yep. able to open up before. It, under the inclusivity conversation, the DEI conversation you, you talked about earlier, it also now broadens my ability to hire people with disabilities that I maybe wouldn't have looked at before because the consideration of them you know, moving about a city or moving about an office, they may not have even bothered to apply for this job. So now we can hire more talent, more diverse talent in many ways, and we can keep our overhead low. So there are many yep. benefits. Right, that we're all looking at, but we're still in figuring out the model. We don't really have the model figured out. And I think we're going to be in some growing pains for the next couple of years until we really get that model anchored for most companies. Yeah, and I think it's going to be different too for, for, from company to company too. You know, like you mentioned about, uh, you know, team members who work in a group on a project and them being, uh, you know, being able to feed off each other's energy when they're together working on a project. You're 100% correct. And I've seen that. Um, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, like, uh, if you if you don't work on projects, let's say you're a salesperson, right? And your job is like just, you know, calling people, emailing people, setting up appointments, you know, that kind of stuff. Like what's the, why would you need to be in, in the office? And, and in my experience too, and I've, and I've seen this a bunch of times, like, um, uh, my wife, she does accounting. She's been working from home for over a year and she actually works more and gets more done at home than she did when she was commuting. And, and it's simply because she cuts out the commute time, right? So instead of having to, you know, leave the house at seven o'clock in the morning so she can be at the office at eight o'clock in the morning, normally when she would leave at seven o'clock in the morning, she's already working. Right. And she gets that extra hour in a day. Um, and and as you know, especially during right now, like, you know, tax season for her, that extra hour a day for her company um, has been very helpful. Right. Um, you know, and when you're a salaried employee, if you work a few extra hours a week, I mean, that's pretty much pretty standard for uh, uh, somebody who's on salary. And, you know, it's like I'm kind of jealous because I still have to commute. So I have to get up like extra early. I got to, you know, do my 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 workout routine you know and i'm i'm up at 4 30 everybody's asleep in my house and i'm like all jealous because in order for me to get my routine done and you know take the kiddo to school now that she's back in school uh and all that stuff like <laughs> that makes dad have to get up super early um and my wife as she gets up and you know she does her workout routine it's just an hour and a half later than mine because she doesn't have a commute. She doesn't have to drive anywhere. You know, that, that hour that I have to drive every day, um, you know, really had, you know, for her in, in that case has made her more productive, um, which has been pretty cool to see how her productivity and like, you know, then I'm getting phone calls at like three o'clock in the afternoon after she's picked up our daughter. Cause you know, I, I drop her off and my dad and my wife picks her up and uh, I'll get phone calls at three 30 and she's like, I'm done working. I already worked eight and a half hours today or I, I've already worked nine hours today and I'm just like, <laughs> it's like a little game that she likes to call and, and, and gloat just a little bit, but that's also a fun little part of our relationship. But uh, there's definitely been a Her bunch of gloating is a fun part of your relationship. Yeah, it's, it makes me laugh because she's not a, glo she's not a gloater. She's totally like, you know, uh, um, uh, she's a total introvert. She never really, you know, pokes fun or does anything like that. So when she started doing that, I, I was like, this is, this is great. 
I I mentioned it because my husband is always gloating. Like mm-hmm. literally, there is a gloat plastered on his face most of the day. So I was chuckling internally. We have constant conversations about please stop gloating. Well, yeah. and that's funny too because sometimes I gloat as well. Like I guess it's just a male thing, um, <laughs> and and she hates it. And so then when she turned around and started doing it to me because of the work, and we both just found it absolutely hilarious. That's awesome. So now when she calls, I'm like, oh, like, I'm like, oh, what are you eating pizza now? Do you guys go out to dinner? Do you have ice cream? Like, what am I missing out on? Meanwhile, she's sending pictures, posting it on Instagram, like my lovely day, three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and, and, and her, day. her and Marley are like, you know, they they got picked up from school and they're over at uh, the water and ice store picking up old school thrifty ice cream from like when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I want to say something about the working schedule you just mentioned, mm-hmm. how she'll get up and she'll take what would have been her commute time and instead she's doing it, using that time for work. And the the truth is that companies are really gonna be able to tap into an interesting resource, which is figuring out when people are most productive. And that very much has to do with like, what's like your biological like time clock and like mm-hmm. your internal clock, or I think it's called um, your chronotype, right? Because yep. there's some people who are naturally morning people who love to get up, who are super productive, you know, at 8 a.m. And there are other people who are great midday and that you're still others and I'm the last one. I'm awesome at midnight. You want me to do <laughs> thinking work for you, strategic work, planning, organizing, midnight is the time i'm not great in the morning and by being able to work from home what you tap into is your employee's ability to like leverage the fact they get to work from home and do a lot of their work whenever it makes sense for them so Mm -hmm. you get the best out of them like the truth is you don't want me doing strategic work at 8 a.m i'm not good i will make mistakes i can't see and i'm I'm the complete opposite i'm like listen if you want something really important done like you you, um this is this is why i do interviews in the afternoon right i do all my interviews in the afternoon only because by that time in the afternoon, I am free and clear of my mind having to think about operational components or project-based things that I'm working on here at the company. And so I have to do all of my interviews after uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. Like, at, like it's basically, I work my morning, I eat some lunch, and then I do an interview. And I generally do that, you know, three day, three times a week, but I have to do that that way because that's the way my, my mind works. Because I'm also one of those people by about, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, "Mm, I think I'm ready to watch some Netflix or read a book or, you know what I mean? Like I'm, and then, and then I go to bed at like eight o'clock or eight 30, you know, whereas my wife, you know, she stays up a little bit later. She's more of like the 10, 10 30 person. However, she does a really good job too. Like, um, she's not, she's not a morning person, but by eight or nine o'clock in the morning, she's rip rared and ready to go. So that's why between seven and nine, uh, or between seven and eight, when she would normally be commuting, that's the time where she sits down where she would nor- normally do that at, uh, let's say eight o'clock in the morning at the office and then be working fully by nine from seven to eight, she's able to sit down and do her, you know, like prioritization of the day, right? And go, okay, I have, um, you know, reconciliation to finish for, you know, the month of March. Um, you know, that's my number one priority. It's, um, and I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more too, because I know this is one of your, one of your big things that you, um, 
um, that you like to do on a daily basis is making sure that you have like purposeful days, right? And you're, and you're, you're, you're laser focused on what you need to accomplish. Um, and so that's why I'm kind of bringing this full circle. And, and that hour is where she spends a time going, okay, I have 400 emails. Which ones do I delete? Those are gone, right? Which ones do I flag for today? Which ones do I flag for tomorrow? Right, those type of things. Um, and then by you know the time she's already rip and ready to go, our meetings are at nine o'clock in the morning. And so like you know all the reports and everything that might need to be done for meetings are done, ready to go already. Um, which in the in the past sometimes it'd be in the meeting and be like, give me five more minutes, just talk about something else for a second, and I'll have the rest of the reports done. Uh, and so yeah, it's definitely been been cool. But I want to shift just a little bit because. Because I think one of your one of your big tips that you have uh, for people is uh, about that daily moment of pause when you get to sit down and actually be intentional about how you want your day to go. Um, explain how important that is and and how people can leverage that to their advantage. Yeah. So I'm speaking as somebody who used to have a to do list that was like 18 pages long, and I kept adding to it. Oh, you have one! I love it. And so when I first came to Handel Group, I came as a client and I was sharing with my coach one day about it. And she's like, you need to rip that up. And I was like, what's wrong with you? How can I possibly rip this up? I have so much to do. Like at the time I had a pretty big job in corporate America, I had a lot of things I was responsible for and, you know, had a life. So I needed my list. It was always with me. I had a little notebook inside my, my purse and it come everywhere with me. You make me feel bad. I got a clipboard. (laughs) You have a clipboard. Hey, whatever you need to do, right? Whatever you need to do. And she challenged me to go okay like that list is so unrealistic like first of all that's like a to wish list because it's impossible for you to do those things and you you, and you probably go through and cherry pick what you want to do when you want to do them and you probably like procrastinate on the things that scare you or are just annoying to you so like be honest about your list and she challenged me to put everything on my list into a calendar like how much time do I think it's going to take and I begrudgingly took on the project. I was a very bad client in coaching. (laughs) I didn't like to take the coaching from my coaches, (laughs) but I did the assignment and I was like, wow, the the fact that I actually thought in one day I can do all these things is crazy because this takes three hours, this takes an hour, I have to commute at this point. Like it was unrealistic, she was right. And so from that point forward, one of the things that I've always practiced for myself is putting everything into my calendar and like in real time so that I know how much time something's going to take me. And that includes hanging out with my husband, working out, time for myself, a morning routine. So that way I'm being honest about how much I, how much I can get done in a day. So that's the first component of this, right? If you're not being honest about how much you can get done in a day, you can't really be intentional about how you want to be in your day, right? Because otherwise you're just in this mode of either overwhelm like so much to do and out of time, or you're in some version of procrastinating, which is just avoiding dealing with things that you don't want to deal with until you have to. And then all of a sudden it's so urgent and you must stay up late or you must blow off dinner with your family or your workout or whatever because you procrastinated so long, right? So first thing is be really clear and get it into your calendar with time to tell the truth about it. And it allows you then to be more honest when you need to go say no to something. Because you can look at a calendar and be honest to go, you know what, my next couple weekends are booked or the, you know, all my Mondays at like three o'clock are not available for this meeting. Like you can be honest because things are anchored in time and many people feel bad when they say no to things. And if you have it in the calendar, it's almost like a way to corroborate your story, right? Like it's kind of like the calendar says that, right? So it's not just you saying no, but like the reality of time 
is a thing, okay? So that's the first part. The other piece about being intentional with your day and what we call this in coaching is the daily design. And the daily design is an opportunity for you to sit down and really get clear about who you want to be and the outcomes that you want to produce. And for anyone who's listening that might maybe is a mindset junkie or someone who loves to learn about personal development or even just somebody who's been um, in this pandemic, like taking on their space, just really trying to stay positive in this time and optimistic, you'll know that mindset really is everything. It's really true, right? Mindset matters. And so one of the things that people tend to skip over in the beginning of their day is really sitting with themselves and going, how am I going to be today? How am I going to show up? What am I believing in today? What am I out to prove today? What do I want to go call into my world? What do I want to manifest, if you will, right? What do I want to happen above and beyond? I know I have all these meetings on my calendar. And when we do that, what it does is it orients your brain to be really clear about the energy you want to bring to your day. And when we bring the right energy, when we show up in certain ways, when our attitude is lovely, right? So, you know, when you're talking about gloating with your wife, <laughs> if you got irritated by her gloating, you'd probably have a very different conversation. It might be a fight, right? But if your energy is, you know, levity or humor, then <laughs> you have a very different experience. So by sitting and going, how do I want to be in my day? You then bring to your day that energy and then it shifts how you actually experience your day. And so when we talk about with clients, specifically very busy executives and leaders have so much on their plate, so much responsibility. When we talk about like maximizing their time, it really is in this conversation, like getting clear about who you wanna be and how you wanna show up, and then having that be the thread in everything that you do all day long. So if you know if I came to this conversation today and I was just like, oh, I've so, been so busy and so distracted, we would have a very different conversation versus I'm so, like I'm inspired by my day. I'm so excited about my day because that's how I try to lead all of my days. I'm inspired by my day and I hope to inspire others in my day. And that is a thread. And at like seven o'clock when I go upstairs to my husband and he's got something going on, I'm like, oh, I'm inspired by my day and I inspire others in my day, even though I really don't want to be inspiring anymore. I go back to that intention from the beginning, from the morning and ensure that it translates in our interaction. So it's almost like your North Star that you're getting clear with every single morning. So you sit down every morning and write down how do you want to be, what outcomes do you want to produce, what do you want to manifest and how do you want to show up? And that is what guides you through everything you go do. And that creates a profound shift for people. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, you just got me thinking too. I, I'm, I'm over here as you're explaining this. You, you can see me. I'm looking at my list and I'm going, ooh, Amazon API. That's a lot of hours. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's also one of those things I can only work on when my development team is available for me to chat with, right? So like, you know, that's that there's no way I'm getting this done this week. It's not happening. Anyways, I have a weird uh, I have my own weird kind of way of keeping track of which ones are important. So um, I use Outlook. Right. And I flag everything that I think is important. And then every day I go through those flags and I determine which ones are actually important or, you know, are things that need to be done today or tomorrow or whatever those important ones are. Um, and then everything else goes into the next week everything I just put it all into next week and then that way I only have those important things that I need to work on and then this is where my list comes in 
I cherry pick the items that are of the utmost urgency or are things that the CEO, the CFO, our management team, you know, those type of projects, those things that we've we've worked on. And I go, all right, well, let's see, how long is this one going to take me? Oh, that's pretty like four hours. And then I go on my calendar and I go, I need to find four hours for this. And sometimes it might not be until next week. Right. And then my CEO sometimes says, hey, where are you at on this project? And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get to it till next week. I don't have a four hour time of window, you know, to get there until next week, which is a tough thing for me to um, to do. Like when you're communicating with, um, you know, somebody who signs your paycheck. Um, but at the same time, it, it also tells him that, hey, I am structuring everything in a manner where everything's going to get done. However, and I've had to explain this to him, too. And I'm like, um, last week we talked about X, Y and Z. And I know that in your mind for our roadmap, your X, Y, and Z is more important than this project that you wanted me to get done. So let me get this project done first. And then I'll move over into that one um, because we'll be at that time frame at that time, you know, and, and being able to make explanations like that to, um, you know, senior level management and explain to them why I manage my calendar the way that I do. Um, it also, it, it also, um, I, I think, um, gives me some like work life balance also in, in the respect where like they understand that you know I value my time as well like I understand you need projects that are done that you need done however I'm only one person and I can only do so much in a given day um, and I'm not going to sacrifice my karate practice that I do every day at the dojo you know for anyone it's not happening that's the one that's like my, that's like my stress relief right my daily stress relief some people go pound weights at the gym um i go to i go do i do go do karate classes and practice kata and fling sticks around and stuff <laughs> everybody has their thing yeah. i always tell people do not mess with my morning routine like do not touch it so i'm like don't schedule meetings with me until 10 okay i really need to see here, I'm not a morning person at all. So I really am up until two o'clock in the morning. So I, you know, do need some time in the morning to get myself up ready, exercising, meditating, doing my daily design, as I just said to do. And just like looking at my calendar of seeing what's up, preparing myself for my day. I need that. If I don't get that, I am a horrible, miserable person. And then, you know, no one benefits from that. So it's important to hold the line, <laughs> as you just said. I want to just add something to uh, like, a way that you could use as a best practice mm -hmm. and offer it to your audience as well around when you're getting people delegating things to you. So one of the things that is really important when someone delegates something to you is to get from them like the deliverable and the by when date. So here's the thing, right? Because I'm I'm a night person, if you say, hey, can you get something, something to me today? I'm like, great, that's like midnight. But today to you might be five or yeah. three, right? And so it's very important to be able to tell people, hi, like I need something by this time, by this date, so that people can go manage the expectation. Oftentimes what happens in organizations is, is if I get something to you by midnight, you might think I'm sloppy or forgot about it or it's last minute. Meanwhile, I planned to work on it at 10 p.m., right? Like I was very intentional about that and like thought I did a good job, but it might resonate for you like I was way, yeah. early. Right. And so you want to just get really good when someone's delegating something to you, you want to ask by when do you need this, you know, and negotiate the timeline. OK, great. Like, what should the <laughs> deliverable look like? When should I follow up with you if I can't get it done? Because otherwise people get disappointed or frustrated. And so it's really important to remember that. And I also teach my clients if they are delegating something, I ask them to do three things. Right. First thing is 
always provide the context, the why behind something so that people can really understand why it is that they're doing this. Like not just the what you want them to do, but like like when, when people understand how they're just not a cog in the wheel, they care more, but then they're also able to make better decisions because they have more contacts for what's going on so then they can troubleshoot in more effective ways, right? Yeah. So context is important. You have to check for understanding and I'm sure you've experienced this before where you delegate something to somebody and then you're like, oh, and they, they do it and they come back to you and you're like, that's what you told me to do. You're like, that is not what I told you to do. Like, what is this? <laughs> what happened? You know what? I've, I I experienced that so far early on in my project management career that it's been not been something that's been an issue for so long because it's only going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to happen to you one time and then you're going to never do it again. You know, especially in my world. I mean, we're working with, um, you know, high level professionals, Fortune 500 companies producing thought leadership content, audios, videos, social media. You know, we're dealing with huge brands that if I make a mistake, you know, that brand says, uh, we don't we don't use the word. And, and I'm not even joking. There are some companies out there that are that say we don't use the word professional. And I'm like, well, why do you don't use the word professional? Well, because if one other person who's sitting in the room doesn't think that they're a professional and I call another person a professional, doesn't it make that other person feel bad? And so there are very intricate things that have to be done in certain circumstances in different job and variations that, you know, the context 100% matters um, and, and, and understanding is extremely important. I don't know how many times I've been like, all right, we're gonna do this project. This is why we're doing this project. The ultimate goal is for us to do A, B, and C. This is how we're gonna do the project, right? We're gonna execute it like this. Joe, you're gonna do A. Jerry, you're gonna do B. And I'm gonna do C, all right? And then we're gonna have all of our parts of this project done by this date. Stop, now. Joe, Jerry, do you guys have any questions on what you need to do? Did I outline it correctly? I want to make sure we're all going in the same direction. I don't have to ask myself. It's my project, <laughs> right? But that kind of a level of understanding, and I know it seems like a little cliche where like, you know, you, you may feel like you're talking like you're talking to a fifth grader or something like that, but having that level of clarity is extremely important. And I do find myself sometimes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a father of a seven-year-old, and so I do sometimes find myself when I'm talking to my guys, I'll be like, all right, can you repeat that back to me? And I go, oh, shit, did I just, oh, that's what I have to do to my kid. You know, because when I talk to my child, the same thing. I, Marley, I need you to do two things. You need to finish cleaning your room, right? You started it yesterday. You didn't finish it. You need to finish that. And then number two, um, there is a load of laundry that is in the basket that is yours that you need to fold and put away. You have to do those two things before you get any free time. And then I go, do you understand what I'm saying? And she goes, yes. But half the time she's not even paying attention. So then I have to go, can you please repeat back to me what I asked you to do before you have free time, right? And I know it's so cliche, but it's really, you know, um, you can do that same kind of thing in a professional uh, setting to make sure that there's clarity. Um, I wholeheartedly believe in that philosophy of, of clarity. You have to have it. It's the of, of utmost importance. Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, when you check for understanding, you get to go, wow, like you really interpreted that. When mm -hmm. I say this, that's what that means to you, right? Mm -hmm. So it is an opportunity to level set like any definitions that need to be aligned on, any process, any like whatever might be in the conversation, right? It's a very powerful tool and it's not infantilizing. 
it's really not. I know most people worry about mm -hmm. it may, might come off as like talking down to somebody. But the truth is, if you really do frame it from the context of, hey, can you just tell me what you just heard me say? Because I want to make sure I was clear so that I didn't miss anything. It's, it's out of respect for the person to make sure that they got all the information. It's much more useful to like spend the three minutes it might take at the end of that conversation versus yeah. have somebody go do all this work and then you not be happy with it, them not feel proud about it or something be really wrong with it and have them go do it again. That's so demoralizing and so frustrating. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct. Not to mention, too, from a project perspective, too, you, you're you saving yourself valuable time, right, and resources later on down the road, too. If you have all of these, these you know, uh, comprehension components flushed out in the beginning, you're not going to end up midway through the project going, what do you mean you only you did this this way? And, like, I thought we were all on the same page, right? Um, and And especially with like web development projects you, you know you can get you can get so so way outside of scope and budget like really 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 fast if all of those deliverables are not set where everybody understands exactly what they're supposed to do um, and you can't you know you, you can't go hey we're gonna go into a six-month development cycle and then everybody brings their heads up for a check three months later and half the entire project hasn't been done correctly because nobody was on the same page you know you just wasted three months and whatever and I can guarantee you right now, the, whoever your superior is, is probably going to have a problem with your performance in that respect. So, you know, spending that three minutes, like you mentioned, to make sure that everyone's on the same page can save you some valuable headaches later on down the road. Absolutely. Way to give the applause on that one. Save yourself some headaches down the road. Definitely. Yes, please do. You have enough of them. Don't add more. So, Chris, as you look at your, uh, you know, your your roadmap for your career and your life and, you know, you're looking at what you do with Handle Group and all those kind of things. What do you uh, what's what's next for you guys is I know I know you're obviously going to continue to make excellent decisions and, you know, work on uh, all the things that uh, make Handle Group a top notch organization. But, you know, what what's next for you? Where do you kind of go from here with your creativity and your intuition and 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 have fun with it? So next for me or next for the company? Let me Both. ask. Both, okay. So for Handel Group in general, what we've been really working on the last few years is making sure we can get what we do at a very high touch, high time investment and high cost investment to the masses. That's really been what we've all been working on. So over the last few years, we've started to provide community calls and uh, We've leaned more into providing content on social media, and we also created a product, a, like a learner-led coaching product where somebody can go through what they would essentially get in a coaching program, like mm -hmm. 12 sessions with a coach that would normally cost thousands of dollars and a lot of your time, but now you can do it in the comfort of your own home whenever, whenever you have the time and take yourself through what a coaching experience would give you. Right. And so the reason we've created all these things is because we had to contend with the fact that as a company, not everyone has the access yeah. right, to be able to go afford a good coach. And sometimes it's like a new business owner who really just doesn't have the capital. They've got to invest in R&D or they got to invest in bringing team on, but they still need some support. And so we've created the product where you can really take yourself through it 
in addition to being able to take yourself through it, you get a coaching session with a coach at like midway through to make sure you're on track and to ask questions. And then we also provide master classes where you can build some community and also get some also additional coaching support. So we really tried to create that ecosystem for people mm-hmm. so that we can give people the access to the tools that we provide. Because as you said earlier, having someone to reflect back to you what's like what they're hearing or having someone to give you different insight or perspective on how to approach a problem is invaluable, especially when someone is building a business and they're an entrepreneur and really in the trenches on their by themselves, right? They're really kind of by themselves and maybe they have some advisors around them, but when they're in the trenches on themselves, having someone to reflect back to you and just sort of be a moment or a person that you could go to to just get level set is pretty powerful. So that's what we've been doing as an organization. Uh, in terms of myself, I have really been leaning into recently ensuring that I am speaking more and more about DEI issues and ensuring that with my clients, I am making sure that they are as a priority in their organization, whether they're a small company or a massive company, mm-hmm. that they are thinking about inclusivity, that they're being honest about how they're recruiting and hiring talent and that we um, are getting clients to really care about this topic because it's something we really have to make sure, especially with the year we just went through, that we're in organizations dealing with the inequities that we might have. Yeah, no, that's 100%. I've had several shows this year and last year about diversity and inclusion and, um, you know, in a multitude of different arenas too, not just uh, you know corporate, but five hundred one c three nonprofits serving you know underserved communities, um, you know a bunch of different ways. So guys, go take a look at uh, listen to some of those other episodes that we've done because um, diversity inclusion is something that Voice America and Finding a Frequency, the show, are, are definitely all about. Um, it's it's an important component, and you know if you don't have diversity and inclusion, you're doing yourself a disservice as a company too because. I want to know, I want to know for, as, a, as a leader in, in business, I want to know how every diversified cultural human being looks at our brand or who we are or what we do, right? I want to know our, you know, do, does, does one group versus another group feel like we're out of touch price wise for our products, goods and services, and how do we make sure to make it available for everyone? And I think diversity and inclusion inside the internal base of a company um, really helps you to focus on some of those things um, that can be customer centric because, um, having that diversity inclusion gives you some insight that you may not have had before you had as much diversity and inclusion internally. Yeah. And I want to just say someone who's sitting here, um, I've been a woman in corporate America and a young woman at that, having to navigate that myself. My parents are immigrants. So English is my second language. My parents really didn't speak the language at all. And I'm married to a black man. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so being someone who sits at those intersections and um, is white. So, by the way, like I have a lot of privilege coming along with that, right? And so being someone who sits at those intersections, I've experienced so many of those isms, sometimes directly, but many times indirectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I see constantly, and I always, for myself, 
make it feel like it's my mission, right? To ensure that when I see it, I have to speak up about it or do something about it. But well, the thing that has really resonated for me in all the experiences that I've had is that the more we don't try to embrace our diversity and the more we try to pretend like we don't have to create inclusive cultures, that it doesn't matter, it's not really gonna shift anything, the more that we do that, the more we are actually deeply hurting our ability to like grow beautiful companies. Mm-hmm. We just are, right? It's, a- it's absolutely correlated to your ability to gain market share, to be innovative, to be more productive, all of those things that people care about, right? But above and beyond that, as business leaders, and I'm speaking as someone who used to run large teams for companies, you know, it's like our, those of us who figured it out, those of us who've made it in some way, those of us who have, the, have had the privilege, we really do not have to go do the job of bringing people along, right? And amplifying the voices for others that don't get amplified and making sure that our teams have representation from all different ethnicities and walks of life. And we do have to take it on as a personal mission because as a business person, as a business owner, you are making an impact in the world. You're creating something cool. You're innovating something different. You're either, you know, recreating the hamster wheel or whatever that expression is, creating a better mousetrap, I think is the actual expression. And so because you've taken on that purpose in life, this also comes along with it. Yeah, I agree. Very, very, very well said, Crystal. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're 100% correct. And that's a lot of the stuff I talk about on on, on uh, the, the Stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. Um, we do a lot of stuff with a group called uh, Unpolitically Correct. Um, and the the fun thing I like about doing that is it's kind of outside of my Finding Your Frequency uh, radio show. And I get the opportunity to have candid conversations with people all over the world um, about how, you know, um, you know, they're dealing with similar situations that the United States is dealing with. And we get to have, um, you know, really cool conversations about those types of topics um, and what, you know, other people are dealing with, what I'm dealing with. You know, I, I talk with a guy who's in the UK all the time about finance and cryptocurrency. And then, you know, we talked to Bliss over there who, you know, she's she's just a, a giant walking rainbow. Um, and so it's just, it's always cool to be able to have that diversity and inclusion in, um, in, my, in my media work. Right. And being able to have conversations with people of all walks of life about uh, those different things. So you guys can check out those conversations at uh, stereo.com forward slash radio Ryan one. And I want to give a big shout out to Krissa uh, from handle group for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. If you guys get a chance, go check out the handle group.com. They got a, a like, just a myriad wealth of knowledge on that website. It's absolutely amazing. So go check it out. Krissa, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Make sure you tune in every week at 12 o'clock Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern. And we'll talk to you guys on the next episode of Finding Your Frequency. Hey, guys. I want to pause the show for just a second because I want to talk about this really cool app called Stereo. I've been using it for a little while now, and man, it's pretty cool. It's a live broadcast social platform that enables people to have real conversations in real time. The app allows podcast creators to build an intimate relationship with their fan base by engaging them in direct conversations. Listeners can literally record a question, send it in while we're doing the live directly to us, and we can answer those questions and engage in real time. It's really cool. 
I've been using the app for a couple of weeks now. I've done a couple of variants uh, on it with some random people and I've met people. I've already got some followers. So it is a really cool application and there's so much diverse content on there. You'll always find something to listen to. Finding Your Frequency is excited to offer our listeners a new way to interact. Join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time for a live show on the Stereo app. You can download the free Stereo app and select Finding Your Frequency. We're verified right there on Stereo so you can connect with us whenever we're live. Stay tuned for more details on how to engage with us on Stereo at the end of today's episode. Go to www.stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. Again, www.stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. Once you get in there, make sure you start following me. You'll start to check it out. And again, we got the shows that we're going to be doing every Friday at 2 o'clock Pacific time on the Stereo app.